0: I've got a question for you. Have you ever gotten email or text from a company that was so perfectly timed that you bought something from them right then? You're lounging around at home feeling hungry. Then bang, a pizza company sends you the deal you didn't even know you wanted. How do they know I'm sitting in my PJs pining for stuffed crust? Well, that's where Clavio comes in. Clavio is the email and SMS marketing platform to send messages just like this. They're used by over 100,000 e-commerce brands like Demologica, Wilkinson Sword, and Alessi, who use Clavio to build deeper relationships with their customers and ultimately grow their businesses. It's time to talk to your customers like you know them. Because you do. With Clavio. Learn more at klaviyo.com Klaviyo, big. That's Clavio, K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash big. B-I-G.
1: According to FBI sources, the power play for control of New York's five families has just begun. There has been much movement in gangland.
2: Drugs mean guns. Sinaloa has Mexico's oldest and richest cartel. A code of silence governs this secret world. Hong Kong's film industry, which is famous for its all-action movies, has itself become the target of attacks. Triad gangs have long been involved in extortion and protection rackets in other entertainment industries there. Now they want to muscle in on the colony's equivalent of Hollywood.
0: Italy has the a mafia-esque crime syndicate that dates back to the 18th century. There's the Bratva, the Russian mob. The Yakuza in Japan the Sinaloa Cartel in Mexico. And in Hong Kong, there are the triads. Villains so notorious that they've made their way into popular culture as the slick but deadly bad guys in movies like Rush Hour and Lethal Weapon.
1: They don't appear like a tribe member as what you imagine with tattoo, with the black t-shirt or leather jacket, like a biker thing. No, it's not like that. Basically, they dress like a businessman. They were in shoots.
0: In reality, the life of a tribe member isn't so action-packed.
1: Normally, they get up at 3 or 4 in the afternoon. And then once they get up, they start having meals with tribe brothers, and sometimes they're going to have their business lunch with their business partners. They love, you know, having so many meals within one day. The highest record I have ever had in my life was that I had eight meals per day. When I was, you know, hanging out with a uh, senior tribe member.
0: Pretty much a series of hedonistic feasts, seasoned with a dash of gambling.
1: I attended quite a number of triads' funeral before. And they tend to pass away in an earlier age, around 60. People in Hong Kong tend to have longer life, but tribe members don't. And I think that partially because of their habit, you know, they get up late. They sleep late, they can you have so many meals, which is very bad to their liver, and they drink a lot. Also, quite a number of them, they take drugs.
0: It's almost textbook. Criminals indulging in lethal vices, motivated by only one thing.
1: It's all about money.
0: From Kindling Media and Vespucci, you're listening to Bad Money, a show about power, wealth, and wrongdoing. I'm Jason Wong. This season, Big Spender. Episode two, Triads versus Billionaires.
1: I joined several triad leaders' funeral, their dinner, their gathering, their religious events.
0: Most people stay away from triads if they can help it. But Sharon Kwok, a lecturer in criminology at Western Sydney University, has spent the last decade with as many triad members as she can.
1: Joining their events was part of my life as a researcher. That's how I collected my data.
0: Sharon has been conducting ethnographic research on tribe societies to understand their innermost workings. And to do that, she has to spend time with them and earn their trust.
1: There's always a risk, no matter how peaceful they appear to be, but there is always a risk when you are doing something <laughs> dealing with the criminals. Whenever I go to any of the venue, I will check out where the Entrance and exits are and also where the back door is then you know where to escape
0: Triads have been around for a century but the 80s is their golden age One particular triad gang the Sun Yiu On has control over many aspects of Hong Kong
1: The Sun Yiu On was very powerful at that time because they have a lot of entertainment business not only in Hong Kong but in China as well They own a movie company Everybody in Hong Kong knows that
0: With a lucrative film business and high-profile celebrity members, it's no surprise that everyone in Hong Kong and China knows who the Sun Yon are. But their illicit endeavours are also thriving.
1: In the 80s and 90s, they engaged quite a lot of, you know, what we call traditional tribe business, like, you know, gambling, vice... And drug dealing, sometimes drug manufacturing, trafficking, and also, you know, operating illegal gambling ban, or, you know, major parole, or running a, a vice establishment like Bothell, that kind
0: of thing. An estimated 35,000 members strong. They're surprisingly efficient, keeping track of brothers with a membership number system. Still, no matter how big or powerful you are, it's always good to bring in new recruits.
1: Normally, they would send the younger triad members to hang out in public areas, like the basketball field or the convenience store or McDonald's. They try to like recruit the young blood from high poverty areas.
0: Triad members hang out around schools too, watching the kids to understand the social dynamics, then swooping in to offer their protection and win them over. Sharon has seen children as young as eight being recruited into the triads. For those living in poorer parts of Hong Kong in the 80s, joining is almost inevitable.
1: People living in public estate, they do some small businesses, like, you know, um, running a small shops that kind of thing. But um, if you don't have any protections from the tribe members, it's quite difficult for them to survive.
0: But it's not just their violence that makes the triads famous, it's their connections too.
1: Our research um, paper which was written by Professor Wang Lo talked about the Sun Yon was part of the United Front of the Chinese government at that time.
0: The United Front is a political strategy executed by the Chinese Communist Party in which the government recruited groups and individuals to advance the party's ideological agenda. It's a bit of an I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine kind of deal. But it's important to note that the government has denied any collusion with triads
1: that kind of connection with the Chinese government make them very powerful at that time.
0: With their friends in high places, the triads are able to access society's topmost echelons. One of their major income streams comes through VIP casino rooms. These rooms are for the ultra-wealthy billionaires, the other center of power in Hong Kong. Billionaires like Lee Ka-sing or Lei Ga sing
2: Lee Ka-sing was the richest man in Asia and unrivalled in business. He was the most famous, the most respected, the biggest in every sense businessman. He touched everyone's lives in Hong Kong. Richard
0: Cook has spent years covering the rich and powerful in southern China.
2: He owned power companies, supermarkets, shopping malls, ports, everything. His nickname was Superman. And it implied his the magic touch he had for for picking businesses and stocks that would soar. He was tough, no-nonsense, um, self-made man.
0: Lee ka Singh is a reminder to Hong Kongers that anything is possible.
2: He started with a, a flower factory in Kowloon, and he got some good deals with um, an American guy that trusted him. And step by step by step, he became a, Asia's richest man.
0: Lee ka Singh earned himself the people's respect and a lot of money by making a series of audacious stock market maneuvers that stuck it to the colonial powers that were ever present in the country.
2: But their power was, had no bounds really. His connections in China. So China needed Hong Kong because it needed a um, a, a trade vehicle. Didn't matter how communist it was, how hardline it was, it still needed to trade with the world. And Hong Kong was that trading gate. And Li Ka-shing sat at so many points on that gateway, and he would have had connections all the way to the the very top. The nickname Superman says it all.
0: The triads may be powerful, but billionaires like Lee could pull just as many strings, if not more.
2: Hong Kong then was run by five or six families. They sat at the top of huge conglomerates. They had very close relationships with the Hong Kong government. Their connections were everywhere in Hong Kong, across China and actually across Asia.
0: Though seemingly at opposite ends of society, it's these two parties, the billionaires and the triads, that run Hong Kong. And their favorite meeting point? Those VIP casino rooms I mentioned. The Las Vegas of the East.
1: We don't have a casino in Hong Kong, and that's why they have to go to Macau.
0: The casinos in Macau are a neon spectacle. Grand buildings covered in pink, red, orange and blue lights. A gaudy spectacle that lures
2: you in with the patter of rolling dice and the promise of riches. Hundreds of thousands a day would come to, to gamble and they would use Stanley those casinos.
0: Stanley, another legendary billionaire known as the
2: godfather of Macau. He was the only one that had um, a casino license. so. All casinos in Macau were operated by STDM, which was Stanley Ho's casino operating entity. Step inside one of these casinos
0: and they're awash with red and gold, lucky colours in Chinese culture. Intricate glass chandeliers dangle from the ceiling, myriad on every shiny surface in the room. It's almost a pyramid of power. On the lower floors, desperate gamblers pull at the skin on their faces in frustration as their chips are dragged away from them. It's not a,
2: in any way, a sophisticated scene. But that's not where the people that we're interested in are gambling. And then, as you go up through the casino, up the floors, the tables become more elite, become more valuable. And the senior members of the triads oversee it all.
1: There was lots of triads involving different parts of the casino operation, including selling the tickets, selling the chips, doing long shark. Providing sex services to the customers, that kind of thing.
0: Behind red velvet ropes and a thick wall of muscle are the VIP rooms, open only to players who can prove their wealth. Here is where the billionaires and the triads come together.
1: I witnessed a triad leader who spent about um, 600,000 Hong Kong dollars in one bat. And he loses it. (laughs) Without any facial expression, it's something very normal to them. Quite often, they spend about a couple million dollars in just one or two hours.
0: And whilst they're here, in these secret back rooms and private spaces, the billionaires and triads reinforce an unofficial code of conduct between themselves, that they won't touch each other, each other's money, or each other's businesses. They agree to coexist so the dice can keep on rolling. Somewhere in the valley between these two worlds, our boy Big Spender is born in 1955 in Guangxi province in rural China. As a youngster, He and his family crossed the border into Hong Kong.
2: Life in communist China in the 50s and 60s was hard, hard beyond comprehension for someone that didn't experience it. So it wasn't unusual for people to, if they could, to leave China and get to Hong Kong and then maybe move on.
0: They went in search of opportunity. In Hong Kong, Big Spender's father sets up a small tea shop in Yao Mate, where Big Spender busses tables and washes the cups in the kitchen. They live in an area full of people like them, Immigrants stacked on top of one another in a maze of makeshift rooftop houses.
1: Almost bursting at the seams, the colony of Hong Kong is invaded by new floods of would-be refugees from the mainland of China. As there's only shantytown accommodation for many of the million refugees already in Hong Kong, there's no room for the 4,000 a day
2: who have tried to come in later. Very claustrophobic, very close-knit. And people lived very, very close to each other. Big Spender's family tea shop isn't exactly a thriving economic
0: venture. So his father picks up some extra work on the side.
2: His father was in some way involved in the rackets. Again, nothing that unusual. There were huge refugee communities in Hong Kong then in the 1950s and 60s. Those refugee communities were in part ruled and organised by organised crime gangs.
0: These are the sort of places where the triads like to make themselves indispensable.
2: The triads run, or did run, pretty much every aspect of, of daily life in Hong Kong, um, from running protection rackets in restaurants. So low-level gangsters come by the tea shop every now
0: and then, and Big Spender begins to compare his life to theirs. They have money and nice clothes, whilst he and everyone he knows are stuck living hand-to-mouth. Big Spender begins to slip off to spend time with these mysterious gangsters whenever he can.
2: His father, in an attempt to move him away from that racketeering world, tried to get him at work as an apprentice tailor, but um, it failed. And he was soon on the streets, running numbers, running rackets, working for the, um, the local hoods.
0: Inevitably, Big Spender joins a street fighting gang. At just 16, he gets his first criminal conviction – which turns out to be a badge of honour rather than a deterrent. He's in and out of remand centres throughout his teenage years. But
2: all of this only whets his appetite. He would have been a very low-level street runner for for, for a gang that was probably involved in extortion and and gambling.
0: Big Spender starts sending counterfeit watches at 19. He dabbles in a few minor thefts and robberies. He gets caught up in a loan sharking case. He tries his hand at fraud involving fake passports. It's a gentle start, but clearly Big Spender believes the future holds something much bigger for him. So he decides to step out alone.
2: Most Chinese strongly believe in fate, they believe in destiny, and they do think that you can change your life course with a roll of the dice.
0: Whether he realizes it or not at the time, Big Spender has begun to take his first footsteps on a new path. One which will lead him closer and closer to gangster paradise. And with each step he takes, he
2: wants more. He sat outside the normal criminal fraternities, but he was a gangster and um, he loved nothing more than doing the most audacious, high-value crimes possible. And he became highly notorious for it.
0: Fast forward a few decades, and Big Spender is no longer the poor boy in the tea shop. He has a wife and two young children, and he's built himself a reputation that has earned him the respect of citizens and criminals
2: alike. He was very typically Southern Chinese, flashy, not tall, slightly tubby. You wouldn't see him as a medicine gangster. There was this, almost a Robin Hood aspect to him, but people knew and feared him. You know, he had a number of establishments like karaoke bars, etc., around town. And if, if you had had any nows about you at all, you would know that you couldn't mess with any of those businesses because he was ruthless.
0: With his new lifestyle came a new luxury, money, and big spender, you know, as his name might suggest, was nothing if not lavish with his newfound earnings.
2: He had very flashy cars, flashy watches, lots of properties. He liked his clothes. He wore fancy shoes. He had busts of his wife made, sphinxes, I understand, in his very ornate compound house in Kowloon Tong.
0: One of Big Spender's many properties, a luxury 5,000-square-foot home, was covered top to bottom, Richard says, with Buddhist and Taoist deities to bring
2: him good luck. He had a huge M that stood for money above above his bed.
0: Never one to shy away from the cameras, Big Spender invites journalists to his homes to see the M his banana yellow Lamborghini Diablo, and his fleet of 10 other luxury cars. He's building his brand,
2: and the tabloids can't get enough of him. They were full of salacious stories about this guy who was... He was no pin-up, but he had glamour, he had fast cars, and supposedly he had more money than you would ever, ever, ever dream of having. And it's this
0: love of money... And his free and frequent courting of Hong Kong press
2: that earns him his new nickname. And when Big Spender had money, he really gambled. The stuff of legends, you know, millions, millions on tables that he would win or lose.
0: Big Spender loses 200 million Hong Kong dollars, roughly 25 million US dollars, in one sitting at a casino, and much more over the years. He also gives as flamboyantly as he spends. One story goes that, on a whim, he gave $10,000 to a street painter in Bangkok. But with money and excess comes the promise of status, and Big Spender can't resist throwing his weight around. And
2: there's one story that really stands out. Big Spender had his own family compound. It was in Kowloon Tong. Kowloon Tong is a residential area in Kowloon. It's one of the most expensive places to live in Hong Kong. he put a satellite dish on an exterior wall. And the neighbours didn't know what to do.
0: The structure is illegal, and the other wealthy residents don't want it blocking their view.
2: So they decided, as a neighbourhood committee, if you like, to send a, a joint letter, very polite, and ask him to reconsider, say this is, you know, this is a, a nice area, an affluent area, it's, it's landscaped, it looks pretty and that your satellite dish um, disrupts that, uh, that aesthetic.
0: They hope that this kind letter will resolve things amicably. They knew whose house it was. They were scared of him, he's notorious. Soon enough, Big Spender sends a reply to the whole neighborhood.
2: And he invited them all over. And they thought, whoa, he's been invited us over, he's a reasonable man. When they went into the compound, they went into the house, they were called into this room, Huge room, huge table, big spender sitting behind it in his very flashy clothes that he wore, mirror shades on, and behind him, like, 12 guys, 20 guys, whatever. Again, all dressed exactly the same, wearing gloves and mirrored shades. And he said to these genteel Kowloon Tong residents, sorry, what's your problem? And they had no problem. He made it very clear. He was being... As threatening as you could be, I have an army here, I'm a gangster, I kind of do what I want. Do you have a problem with me? And they had no more problems with him. They let Big Spender do what he wanted. It's all very amusing to Big Spender. He's come so
0: far from the invisible boy who worked in a tea shop. He's got Hong Kong's wealthiest bowing down to him. Soon enough though, all that power, it starts to get to his head. And Big Spender decides to break the one rule that no gangster before him has dared touch.
2: Everyone would have just been gobsmacked. They would have been open-mouthed gobsmacked. Doesn't matter if you were a police superintendent or if you were the head of a crime gang. People across the board in Hong Kong were astounded at what he did, but not just astounded, a mixture of petrified and in anticipation of what he was going to do next.
0: Big Spender is a production of Kindling Media and Vespucci and is narrated and hosted by me, Jason Wong. The next episode is available to listen to right now. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they're released. The series producer is Mira Kumar. The story editor is Mira Sharma. Thomas Curry is the managing producer. For Kindling Media, the executive producers are Will Stoloman, Ruth Edwards, Rich Martell, and Dan Murray Serta. For Vespucci, the executive producers are Daniel Turkin, Johnny Galvin, and Matt Willis. Original music, audio mix, and sound design by Dominic Gozo. Special thanks to Pete Sell and Yu Pang, George
2: Chan.